I use this big booming voice. Well, I have a big booming voice, but so you kind of look up at the sky when you hear it. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to our service today. I want to thank everyone here and everyone at home for joining us to worship God and to share our love and faith. Before I start, I want to thank everybody that makes our service possible from the parking lot to the greeters that you check coming in, the praise team, Erica and her message. I told her earlier, it's kind of hard to follow that. Um, the guys up in the balcony, the guys and girls up in the balcony, everybody that comes together to make this work. And then you have the Quest, you have the Res Kids. Thank you for all that serve. And if you're not on one of the service areas of church, please join one. It's a great connection. For those of you that don't know me, I'm Mark Kohlbrenner. My wife Lori and I, <laughs> thank you. My wife Lori and I serve as greeters. We serve as life care leaders. And we had the great honor and privilege to operate the Operation Christmas Child drop-off site this year. It was such a blessing because Miss Lynn ended up with some very busy times at that period, and we were able to step in and fill in for her. And we collected over 600 boxes. 600 boxes that we received, we prayed over, we packed, and we took on to the next step to be shipped off to where they're going. 600 boxes that on average, every box will touch seven people. The child that receives that box will share it with family and friends. So praise God. And, and in case you hadn't heard, Operation Christmas Child this year will have their 200 millionth box. That box is set to be delivered to a family in the Ukraine. So it's a pretty exciting year for us. Speaking of Christmas, and I know you don't want to hear it again, but uh, today's December 11th. 14 days till a big day, 13 shopping days for those of you that aren't done yet, like us. Have you purchased that special gift for that special someone? Have you purchased that gift for someone that's like an obligation? Have you got them all wrapped and ready to go? More importantly, have you written your letter to Santa Claus? No, seriously, think about it. You write this letter of Santa Claus, it's a letter of hope that will get you what you want for Christmas. Right? They even have forms on the internet. It's so easy to do. Think about the childhood faith in Santa Claus. I write this letter with my Christmas wishes, and Santa Claus is going to bring it to me. You know, we have a God that will fulfill our needs if we communicate with him like we communicate with Santa Claus. We have a God that will give us everything we need. So I just want to remind you when you're doing your Christmas list, don't bother asking for that Red Rider BB gun because you'll shoot your eye out. So before we go on, let us pray together. Father God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that you have brought us together to share your word, share your love, share faith in you. Father, we ask that all the words that we hear today come from you. Father, I pray that all the words I share are your words that you gave me to share with my brothers and sisters. And Father, I ask that everyone here and everyone at home take something from this service to make them better Christians and give a stronger life. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, Pastor Jeff said, our God is a gift-giving God. And he truly is. He'll give us everything we need. But I have a question for you. How many of you had an interaction with someone outside of your family this morning before you came to church? Talked to a friend, phoned a friend, talk to strangers, text somebody. Maybe you stopped for your morning dose of caffeine and met up with someone. We'll have several, several conversations over the course of a day. In fact, I read a study that said the average person will have 27 conversations in a day. 27 times. So let me ask you this. Who had an interaction or conversation with God this morning before you came to church? I don't want to see hands. I know Johnny up there was waving to me this morning. How many woke up this morning and prayed to God for something? And if not, why not? Why don't we start our day with prayer? And I say we because I'm guilty as everybody else. I try, but life gets in the way sometimes. Why don't we start our day with talking to God, having a conversation with God? I don't know about you, but if I start my day with prayer, I have a much better day. God blesses me throughout the day, and I, he'll bless you. That's what God does. 
Praying is having a conversation with God. It's a way of connecting with God. It's building and strengthening our relationship with God so that we have a stronger bond. So why wouldn't we start with prayer? Why don't we talk to him on a regular basis? Here's some things to consider. God is our protector and our healer. God is mighty and all-powerful. Jeremiah 32:17 says, "O sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you." God created the heavens and the earth, the water and the land, the birds and the animals. God created Adam and Eve. So what can't he do? What can't he do for us? There is nothing he can't do for us. And God is ever present and he knows everything. Psalm 139, 1 and 2 says, 1 through 12 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You have examined my heart and know everything about me. Now growing up, we know that Santa had a naughty and nice list, right? And we wanted to be on the nice side of the list. Because Santa Claus knows everything. God knows everything about us. It goes on to say, you know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I'm at rest at home. You know everything I do. Who has that naughty and nice list now? You know what I'm going to say before I even say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. God's hand of blessing is on our heads. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness I can't hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and light are the same to you. So no matter what we do or where we go, God is with us. He knows what's going on. He's following us. His presence is with us. You can't hide from him no matter where you go. Throughout my career in the fire service, I did a lot of teaching in fire prevention. It was my favorite time of the year because we would have hundreds of school-age kids come to the firehouse and they would get a brief tour and then we would talk about fire safety and things to do. We all have heard of stop, drop, and roll, right? Your clothes catch on fire, you stop, drop, and roll. And we talk about what you take if you have to leave your house when it's on fire. But the important thing we talk about is to never go and hide in the event of a fire. Go someplace safe. We recommend the kids go to a window and lay on the floor in front of a window because if I can't get in the door as a rescuer, I'm going to go to a window to get in. And if I reach in and you're right there, I can save you. Because they could hide from us in a closet or they could hide from us under the bed. And as firefighters, we try to search everywhere, but it prolongs the time they're in danger. Think about this. You can't hide from God. No matter how bad you were and you want to get away from him, you can't hide from him. He sees you, he's with you, he's touching you all the time. Our God is just and merciful. Ecclesiastes 12, 14 says, God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. Growing up, I always thought God was looking at all the bad things I did. He was judging me for my sins and the things I did wrong. But he judges us for good and bad. He judges us for everything we do. I think his list is quite a bit stronger than Santa's, don't you? Hebrews 4.16 says, So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we'll receive mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Come boldly to the throne of God. All we have to do is go to him and we'll receive his mercy and grace. 1 John 1, 9 says, but if, I confess, if, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. Isn't it great to know that no matter what we do, he's going to be with us, he's going to forgive us, he's going to cleanse us. 
And the most important thing about his forgiveness is he wipes away the slate. He wipes away our sins. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, yes, I alone will blot out all your sins for my sake and will never think of them again. God, God, the only one that can take them all away. He'll blot out our sins for his sake so that he can stay connected to us. He can be loving us and he'll never think of them again. Santa Claus started a new list every year on December 26th. Did you know that? I did because I started over with my naughty, I mean my naughty and nice list on December 26th. So once a year, Santa Claus wiped the slate clean and started over for us. But God wipes the slate clean every day, all day long. You confess your sins to him, he wipes it off, he rips that piece of paper up, throws it away and starts with a fresh slate for you. Our God is a faithful God. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, and this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. I can tell you from my life that people all over the world experience the same things we do. In different forms, different intensities, but I have several friends in Uganda where we travel to do mission work who I communicate with on a regular basis. And, and most of the time we're sending encouraging words, we're sharing our life stories and things that are going on. And a lot of things that they have difficulties with in Uganda are the same things we have difficulties with here. And so we'll share scripture. The fun thing about the scriptures is when they send me encouraging words in scriptures, it's usually King James Version. And I struggle sometimes to understand it. So as soon as I get the email, I open up my Bible and I look it up in New Living Translation to read what they're encouraging me with so I understand it. And recently I was going back and forth with my friend, Pastor Fred in Uganda, and he says, I do the same thing. When you send me the New Living Translation, I open up my King James Version so I can understand it. But life presents us with all kinds of problems. But we're all going through the same temptations. And it goes on to say, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than we can stand. But you are when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. God is going to give us a way out and a way to escape the temptations that we're in. If we just believe in him and we ask him. God is always going to be with us. He's always going to love us. In Romans 8.35, it says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? It doesn't matter what you're going through. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He's going to be with you. There's nothing, nothing you're going to go through that he can't handle. He created everything. He can take care of it. Then it goes on in 37 to 39 to say, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ. The victory is ours because Christ fought the battle for us. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever, nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death or life, Neither agents nor angels nor demons, neither fears for today or fears, worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed through Christ our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God. The only thing that can really separate you from God is you. You're the one that can terminate the relationship. You're the one that can move away from God, but he'll still be there with you. Romans 8, 38 and 39, it says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all creation will be able to separate me from the love, the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Nothing, nothing can separate us from 
our God never changes. Our God is the same always. In Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing will ever change with him. And Isaiah 41, 4 says, Who has done this and carried it through? Calling forth the generations from the beginning, I, the Lord, with the first of them and with the last, I am he. From the very first of Adam and Eve to the last people on earth that are with Jesus as he takes us all home, he is with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. God is the same today as he was with Adam and Eve when he brought them into the, the garden. He's the same today as he was for all the generations that have changed throughout the world, throughout the earth, throughout the centuries. God has never changed. People change. Where else can you find such goodness, such grace that's guaranteed? Read any contract today. There's always small print. There's always legal considerations. There's always restrictions. How about an instruction manual? This is for the women, because I know men don't look at the instructions until the woman tells us to. Look at instruction manuals. There's all kinds of information right at the beginning that has precautionary statements. If you do this, this is going to happen. Do not do this with this product. I laugh at some of them, like, don't use the hair dryer in the bathtub. Okay? You're still in the water. Why would you dry your hair? But the stuff that comes in these days is just incredible. And how about medicine paperwork? You go to pharmacy, they give you that paperwork, and you sit down and read it, and you go, I don't want to take this medicine. Look at all the things it does. Everywhere we go and everything we do in life has warning signs. Buy any product today and read its guarantee. Some are good, some are bad. Don't ever buy anything that says guaranteed for life because you know what? It's probably not. The company has to live as long as you live. But there's all kinds of guarantees. I had a really good friend. He was a co-worker at the, at the fire department that had a part-time job as a contractor. And he used to tell people about his red light guarantee. He said his work is guaranteed as long as you can see the red lights on his taillights. Once you no longer see his taillights, the warranty's over. Now, he did some work for me, and I helped him on some projects, and I know he is a very conscientious, very good contractor. He's very honest. But he would tell people, I got the red light guarantee. And I know he'd laugh if he knew this story was in church because he was very embarrassed by it a few times when somebody got mad at him. But there's a saying that says, in life, the only thing that's guaranteed is death and taxes. And that's a false statement because God's love, God's grace, God's forgiveness is guaranteed for life. And if you don't believe me, it's in writing. It's in writing in a book. You can read it. You can read all about it. And there's no small print, but there is red letters. God's grace and God's love is guaranteed forever. Now, at all stages in my life, I've had numerous friends, um, acquaintances, connections that have gone, come and gone. Some lasted a long time, some didn't. I have had some that I still have friends that have lasted a real long time. But one of the groups of friends I was very involved in and very fond of was a group in high school. We were a group of misfits. We didn't really fit in any of the normal high school cliques back in the 70s. I mean grade school in the 70s. No, no I was in high school in the 70s. Um, we were a group of different people. We all had different personalities. Some of them were interesting. I was an athlete. I played varsity basketball, but I didn't fit with the athletes. I didn't have that same attitude. I didn't like hanging out with them. I liked hanging out with the ones that they called the geeks and the dorks because we were true friends. We would do anything for each other. We were always there for each other. One of the, one of the, the friends that was in the group was the valedictorian, and I used to go to her all the time for help on my schoolwork because if she's as smart as the rest of the class or smarter than the rest of the class, who else would you go to? But over time, after graduation, we kind of went different ways. We kind of separated. Our, our relationships kind of fell apart. And it wasn't a horrible thing, but it was 
kind of a mutual thing. We all went different ways in life. We let distance and differences and, distant and changes in our lives come between us. Our relationship with God is so much easier because nothing can separate it from us. He is there forever. He is the best friend you could ever have. He'll never get mad at you, even if you get mad at him. And I know everyone in here at one point in your life has been mad at God. You say, God, why did you do this? Why didn't you help us? God, why can't you fix this? And how many have yelled at him, said you never want to see him again or talk to him again or hear from him again? And you know what? He's still there. He's still there loving you and waiting for you to come back. He will not leave you. There's no distance. There's no differences. There's nothing in life that can separate you from God's love, grace, and forgiveness. You can't even hide from it. Who on earth except our parents would love us like God does? And believe me, there was times when I was younger that I wondered why my parents loved me so much. But then I had children and I realized it's parents' love and parents' forgiveness. Lori and I have been very, very blessed in our family. We raised our kids to trust in us, to confide in us, and they do. They have always, whether it's good or bad, our children would come to us. And they knew that we would try to be calm, we would be fair, and we would handle things and help them get through it. And I can tell you, the majority of the time, we were fair. Most of the time, we were calm. There was a few bad times. But we were human, and we were flawed as humans. We make mistakes. We didn't always do the best for them because they were on the wrong track or they did something that we really disagreed with. But God our Father is not human. He's not flawed. He will not get mad at you. He will not yell at you. He won't punish you. He'll be there for you. And he'll give you that love, grace, and forgiveness that you deserve. So no matter what kind of relationships you've had or haven't had in the past or have now, none compare to the relationship you can have with God. But to have that relationship with God, you have to choose to follow him. You have to choose to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. And you have to continually communicate with God. Any relationship needs communication. You talk to any marriage counselor, and that's the first thing they'll ask a couple is, how well are you communicating or how are you communicating with each other? Because a relationship can only build and get stronger by communicating. You need to communicate with God. And the means of communicating with him is prayer. You have to pray to God. You have to build a relationship through prayer. I look up several sources for a definition of prayer. In the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it defines prayer as an address, such as a petition to God, an earnest and urgent request. In vocabulary.com, it says, a reverent petition to a deity, especially as a petition or in adoration. In Wikipedia, it says, invocation or act that seems to advocate a rapport with an object of worship through deliberate communication. Advocate a rapport. You're, you're coming together with an object of worship, our God, through deliberate communication. So prayer is a communication and a close relationship with God. Communication and your relationship go together like peanut butter and jelly. A peanut butter sandwich is okay. A jelly sandwich is okay. Peanut butter and jelly sandwich is good. A relationship with God is okay. A relationship in which you communicate with God and he communicates with you is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. So having a conversation with God is praying. On the hillside... On the hillside overlooking the Sea of Galilee, Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount where he taught us how to pray. Now, can you picture it? Here's Jesus sitting on a rock on the sloping hill with throngs and throngs of people waiting for him to speak. A huge group of people. 
And so Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5 through 6, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Don't make a big spectacle of your prayer. Jesus said pray in privacy, pray in secret. God's listening, God hears you. You can pray anywhere. I used to pray a lot when I was driving, not because I'm a bad driver, but because it was alone time. And then one time I realized that when I'm praying to God, I should be giving him everything. And he's only getting part of it because the rest of me is dealing with the driving and the traffic. But you should pray. It says go in your room and close the door, but pray to the Father who sees everything. And then Jesus goes on to teach the Lord's Prayer. And I imagine when Jesus was sitting there teaching, it was total silence. People were waiting to see what this ordained prophet of God's has to say. Because so many people at that point didn't realize that Jesus was the Son of God who was there to save us all. And so he taught to pray in Matthew 6, 9 through 10. He says, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Praying with God is so important to God that when he sent Jesus down to live among us, he gave Jesus instructions to teach us how to pray, to teach us what to say. And not only did he teach us to pray and what to say, but just before he was crucified, he told the disciples of the coming of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that will dwell in us, dwell within us as Christians. The Holy Spirit that could be a part of our personal testimony. That can guide us in decisions and protect us from physical and spiritual damages. The Spirit that dwells within our heart. The Holy Spirit is our comforter. It's calming in the fears and it's giving us hope. But the Spirit is only effective in our lives if we listen to it and follow its prompting. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said. The Holy Spirit that God sent in his name will teach us all things. Now, our teachings in the Holy Spirit began with Jesus, and they continue on and on and on. The praise band up here is teaching. If you listen to the words of the song and pay attention to the words of their songs, it's all biblical. You can go in and find those scriptures in the Bible. Erica shared scripture. She's teaching. I'm up here teaching. The pastors are teaching. Any of the small groups that you attend, it's a teaching that God has sent for you. If you're not connected with a life care group, I highly recommend it. And not just because I'm a leader, because I fell in love with life care when Lori and I first came to the church. And it, it's a great connection. It's an awesome connection to have. So when you're praying, you need to think about how God gave us his one and only son to teach us, and then the Holy Spirit to guide us. So pray in the Spirit. Use that Spirit to help guide you. In Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. When you're struggling, and we've all been in those circumstances where something very difficult is going on, life is tough, we're going through some horrible times, and we get to ready to pray to God and we're having a hard time. We can't put our words together. You don't have to. God knows what you want. He knows what you're going to say, and the Spirit will intercede for you. 
And it says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with God's will. The Spirit is going to intercede or interconnect with you and God and help you according to God's will. How could it get any better? You can have a conversation with God. You could be stumbling along and the Spirit's going to guide you. So pray in the Spirit. When we're praying, there's several different types of prayer. I'm going to go through a few of them so that we can better understand prayer and the types of prayer. The first one is the prayer of praise and worship. A prayer of praise and worship is focused on worshiping the Lord with deep love, respect, and devotion. It's praising God. They come from a deep awe in what God has done or will do for us. When the praise band's up here at the beginning of the service, that is a, a great form of praise and worship. A worship, a prayer of worship and praise. We're praising God for who he is and what he does for us, what he's going to do for us. The next is a prayer of thanksgiving. For some people, the prayer of thanks, their, their, prayer, their prayer life begins with a prayer of thanksgiving. I'm one of those that the first thing I start with when I'm praying for God is thanking him for what he's doing for me. Thanking him for what he's done for me. Thanking him what he's doing for the people that I'm praying for. Thanking him for everything he does. And then I go on with the rest of my prayer. For other people, they close their prayer in a prayer of thanksgiving. Again, thanking God for all he is and all he does. But in any case, a prayer of thanksgiving is a gesture of gratitude promoted by the healing, the deliverance, the recognition of what God does, the forgiveness and grace he gives to us. If you say a prayer before you eat a meal, that is a prayer of thanksgiving. Our little grandson, Lincoln, goes to a Catholic preschool in Syracuse. He's five years old. He wasn't, he wasn't ready to go to kindergarten yet. So he goes to the Catholic preschool, and every day before they have their snack, before lunch, they say a prayer. And the school had taught these children the prayer to say. Our family, we pray every day, every meal we sit down to. And if the grandchildren are there, we invite them to share, so... Lincoln is in pre-K, and the teacher said, who wants to pray for us? And Lincoln said, I will. And so Lincoln bows his head and he says, God is good, God is great. Thank you for this wonderful food and this wonderful family, amen. Not at all what they taught him, but the teachers and the priests were so inspired by this little boy coming out with this prayer. It just, and it was like the third or fourth day of school. He volunteered to pray in front of the school. Because it's a prayer of thanksgiving. He knows he's thankful for what we have. A prayer of confession. A prayer of confession, a confession is the recognition and confessing of our sins. It's a significant way to pray to Jesus and thanking him for what he's done. Jesus often called those that he interacted with to confess their sins and sin no more. It's acknowledging to God that you know you did wrong and you want him to forgive so he can tear up that list or erase that slate and throw it away. God knows what you've done before you even did it. He knows what you've done when you finished it. He just wants you to acknowledge it. There's a prayer of supplication. A prayer of supplication involves an action of asking or begging something earnestly and humbly in the form of a plea to God. It's a very humbling form of prayer because it requires you to surrender yourself to God, to give up some of that control in your life. You give it over to God. God, I need you to, to fix this. I need you to help with this. There's a prayer of spiritual warfare. A prayer of spiritual warfare is dealing with the battles we face. The battles within ourselves, the battles around us, the battles of others. We use the prayer of warfare to not only ask for help, but to ask for guardingness, a guard to, to guide us, to ask to help against the attack of the enemy. It's asking God to protect us, to surround us with his love. And then there's a prayer of intercession. A intercession prayer is praying on behalf of someone else. It's praying for someone else's need. It's praying for someone else 
is, is salvation. So those are the different types of prayer there are. And we're going to go back to the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us, and we're going to look at it again. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer of praise and worship. We're worshiping God. We want to keep his name holy. We want his kingdom to come to us. We want his will done in our life on earth as it is done in heaven. Give us today the food we need. That's the prayer of supplication. We're asking God to provide for us. And he will. If you pray for him, he will provide for you. And then it goes on to, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. That's the prayer of spiritual warfare. That's asking God's protection, God's guidance in the temptation. So through all those, you can be assured that God is going to give us everything we need. He's always going to be with us. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're saying. He knows where we're at. And God will respond to our prayers. Like I said before, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He's the same with Adam and Eve as he is with us today. But you have to listen to him. A conversation is a two-sided thing. A conversation is a two-sided thing. Sometimes listening is the hardest thing. But you need to listen for God to answer you. And it's not always going to be the big booming from, voice from heaven. So this is what you should do. All right? It's not going to always be that. Sometimes it's a subtle hint. Sometimes it's a little nudge. Sometimes it's from, brought to you from someone else. Something someone else does. Something happens in your life that brings what God wants for you to do. There are times when it's a big slap in the head. When you get to that point and you're desperate or things are going wrong and you're following the wrong path, sometimes he'll slap you to wake you up. But we need to continue to build that relationship through prayer. So how should you pray? How should you pray? You can pray however you want. There's no right or wrong way to pray to God. You don't need a long wordy prayer. You don't have to pray in any specific order. You don't even have to have words that make sense to you. We've all been in that situation where things just aren't coming together in our mind. But God knows what he wants. He understands what you want. We've all heard Pastor Jeff pray, Pastor Gabe pray, Pastor Judy pray, Pastor Jeremy, a lot of the members of the church up here praying. You heard me pray earlier. We all have our own prayer life, our own prayer method. And you need to build your own prayer method. Your conversations with God can be loud or prayed quietly to yourself. It can be said anywhere you want, but remember you're devoting that time to God. And one other thing I highly encourage, as a life care leader, I am very adamant about, I am not going to point to someone and say, Mark, I want you to pray. Because I don't want someone to be put in a difficult situation or a situation where it might turn them away from us. So I ask for anybody in the group that's willing to pray when we need to do prayer in life care. And it's praying out loud in a group. But I recommend that everybody try that, whether it's a small group or a bigger group, to sometime pray in front of everybody. I will tell you, if you're praying in front of a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, there's nobody going to judge that prayer. But everybody will agree with it. And if everybody's agreeing with that prayer, God is listening very carefully. If you're praying with someone and they're judging that prayer, you're praying for that person. No matter what you say, your prayer is praying for that person. But when you pray out loud in a group, you might be delivering God's answer to someone else's prayer. You might be affecting someone because they're seeing the faith, the love that you have for God by saying this prayer out loud that might turn their life around, bring them to Christ. So as much as you might think it's a difficult thing, it's a painful thing, I'm scared to death of it, once you've done it, it becomes so much easier afterwards. I truly never thought growing up that I would be standing in front of a congregation, sharing a message from God and praying with people. 
And God brought me a long way, believe me. Thank God he doesn't give up on us. So have the conversation with God. Tell him what's on your mind and let him know how much you love him. Remember, he knows what you want before you ask. Prayer on a regular basis is the best thing you can do. The more you pray, the more you study God's word, the closer that relationship is built. And like I said before, it doesn't matter how you pray. You develop your own prayer method. When Lori and I first came to this church, we were very new in the church, they started a life care session. And we had talked to a few people that we kind of got connected with in the church, and they said, oh, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come. But we were still a little bit nervous because we didn't know a lot of the people. And so we decided we were going to try, at that time there was three different life care groups, we were going to try each one of them and see where we might fit in. So on Wednesday night, we drove over to Amanda and Tom Thomas's house where the life care was held. Howie Parsons was the leader. Howie and Mary Parsons were the leaders. We sat in the car out in front of the house watching the people going in and trying to figure out if we knew who they were. You know, like, looking through the window. Do we, do we know who that is? Do you remember seeing that one in church? And we were really debating on whether we wanted to go in. We were a bit nervous. We finally decided we were going to get out of the car. We were going to go and see what happens. And then if we're not comfortable, we'll leave at the end and we'll come, go to another one next week. Well, we went in, we fell in love with the group. It was a great group of people. We were very welcomed. But a few sessions later, Linda Kaiser was praying for someone. And if you don't know Linda Kaiser, she is an angel sent from God. She is a great sister to have with you. Well, she prayed out loud in the meeting. And it was like she was having a conversation with God. She's sitting in the chair and God's sitting next to her. She's talking to him on a personal level. And I just thought that was so cool because I was raised in the Catholic Church where prayer is structured. And even when I was going to the Methodist Church, I was still was, my prayer life was very structured. And I said to her afterwards, I said, Lynn, I love that. You have touched me in such a way because you showed me that I can sit and just have a conversation with God. It's a one-on-one. He's here. I'm thinking she's sitting next to him, but then I realized he's here. He's with her. He's with me. He's with you. Just talk to him. Your prayer can be any way you want it to be. So I encourage you to have those conversations with God. Talk to him. He's like he's right there with you because he is. He's listening. I encourage you to build your relationship with God because the more you grow closer to God, the more you are blessed. And if you've got a good prayer life going, you can take it to the next level. If you don't have a prayer life going, take it to the next level. Take it into fasting. Fasting and prayer go together. I know fasting. Oh my gosh, I can't eat? I don't give up eating. I didn't get this big not eating. But fasting is a great way to show your devotion and dedication to God. When Jesus was about to begin his public ministry, what did he do? He went off into the wilderness, and for 40 days, he fasted as he faced the enemy. If that doesn't show you a dedication and devotion to God, and as the enemy threw things at him, he used the word of God to fight back. That shows a great devotion to God. Now, fasting is not a hunger strike, and you don't have to completely give up eating. There's a couple of different ways. In doing some research, I found the two primary ways for fasting for Christians. The first one is a partial fast. A partial fast is giving up something that is you're fond of. Daniel, for three weeks, was fasting when Israel was in exile. And in the Bible it says he abstained from delicacies like meat and wine. Daniel 10.3 says, I skipped one, Johnny, I think. Daniel 10.3 says, I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips. I used no lotions at all until three weeks was over. 
Daniel didn't give up everything. He gave up, a, he did a partial fast. In the day, early days of fasting, it was a true way to humble God. And they did many things to, to show their humbleness. And one of them was they would change their clothes and wear ragged clothes instead of the good stuff they wore. But humbling yourself before God and giving up something that you truly like is a way to do it. When I was growing up and we were attending the Catholic Church, my father was adamant about fasting during Lent before Easter. And from the first day of Lent all the way through the Easter season, he would give up either beer or chocolate. And beer he did pretty good with. That was an easy one for him. But chocolate was difficult. My father, after we grew up and weren't smart enough to realize you don't touch the chocolate, my father had a box of chocolate on the stand next to his chair. And when he sat in his lazy boy to watch the news or whatever he was doing there, he had his piece of chocolate. And so for him to give up chocolate was a partial fast. It was something he was very fond of. It was a delicacy he liked. But through the whole time in Lent, he would give up chocolate. Every year on Easter Sunday, on the stand next to my father's chair, there would be a box of chocolate-covered cherries, which was his favorite, with a red ribbon on it that my mother would give to him as his Easter gift. And as for, to recognize his devotion to his fasting. So you can do a partial fast. You can also do a complete fast. A complete fast means drinking only water or sometimes juice. If you have a, a, a medical condition or you have problems that you need to have that little bit of extra, you can drink juice for an extended period. It's a complete fast. You're giving up eating any food. It's quite a bit more difficult than a partial fast. It takes a lot more resolve, but you need to do it slowly. It's highly recommended, and I, I read several articles, that you remain conscientious about any medical conditions you have. Don't try to fast if it's going to affect your, your health. Um, and also to start slowly, but also come out of your fast slow. You don't want to jump right in and not eat for seven or eight days, and then all of a sudden eat a big meal. It's not good for your body. But a complete fast is giving up everything. And it's just another way of showing your true dedication to God and what he's doing for you. I read a really cool article from a pastor who talks about partial fasting that becomes very easy and routine to do. And what he said was, from the time he finishes breakfast in the morning, he eats nothing until his dinner meal. And then he takes his lunch time that was normally set aside to have his lunch and he uses that for a prayer time. So how easy is that when you're working at your, at your job to not eat in between the day? For me it's difficult, but I think I can handle it. But then use your lunch time, your break time, to spend time with God. You're fasting to show him that you're willing to sacrifice for what he has for you. You're humbling yourself by showing him that you can do this for him. And then you're adding that extra prayer time in. As pastor said, he doesn't do it every day. He typically does it one day a week. But it's just, even if it's an occasional fast, you want to take that time to just take a break, spend more time thinking about God. I've tried a couple times, usually when I'm fasting and I start to get hungry, that's the first thing I think of is, what am I doing this for? Who am I doing this for? And why am I doing this? And it always brings me back to, I can get through the day. I've never done a long fast, a complete fast. I think that would kill me, but I know it won't. But a, a good partial fast. However you choose to fast, make it meaningful and spiritual. Remember what you're doing it for. In Matthew 6, 16 to 18, it says, And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces and show others they are fasting. If you choose that lunchtime fast and you have coworkers around you, they're probably going to ask you why you're not eating. So it's better to go someplace private when you're not eating lunch. But don't do it like the hypocrites and, and make it a wide-known thing. Just like praying. Don't be on the times, the square in town screaming your prayers out. Do it to, for yourself, for, to God, not to the, the community. And truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. But only to your Father who is unseen, 
and your Father who sees what you have done in secret will reward you. I think we're all looking for that reward from God. And I know he'll have it for you. He loves you and he cares about you. He protects you. He'll provide for you. You just have to reach out to him. Don't be worried about what you say or how you say it. He already knows what you're praying for. Fasting and prayer are keys to building your relationship with God. The best relationship you could ever have no matter what. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, God is going to be with you. If you tell him you never want to see him again or hear from him again, he's going to be right alongside you. If you humble yourself before God and pray in the spirit, you will receive an answer. Build your prayer through communication with God. If something in this message today has enlightened you or sparked an interest or made some curiosity pop up in your head, sit down later and pray to God. Ask him for where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do. I think the great concept or the great difference between the Santa list that you have to write and mail to him and God's list is you can do God's list anywhere. There's no stamp involved, and it's always going to bring you what you need. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. It's never going to be out of your life as long as you let him stay there. If you're hearing about this amazing God for the first time today, or you've heard of him before, and this has really spiked something in your life, that you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please let someone know before you leave. If you don't want to talk to one of the ushers or the welcome center, let us know that you've received Jesus because we want to celebrate with you. You have joined a great family, a family that will support you and love you forever. Because God loves us. God will never leave us. He'll never forsake us. If you want to accept Jesus today, I ask that you pray this prayer with me and I ask everyone to pray with me because it reinforces our love and our commitment to God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your words today. I thank you for all you do in my life. Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, was crucified and died for my sins, who is seated at your right hand in heaven. God, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to live more like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. Father, forgive me for my sins. Forget my sins. Protect me from the enemy. And guide me in life. God, I thank you. And I love you. Amen.